Hello and welcome to another episode of That's What People Do podcast. Uh, we are back now to do, this is recording episode 9. Yes. Oh yeah, uh, James is with me of course, uh, you're with me, Ryan McGowan, we've got James K with me, hello James. Hello, is this episode 9? I think it is episode 9. It is episode 9 now. Um, yeah, that makes sense. It, so again, for those if you don't know, me and James live quite far away from each other and we only meet up once a month. And once a month, we record all four episodes for the month to go out. Uh, so we actually haven't seen each other for a month. Yeah, it's flown <laughs> and by. The though. last one, last episode was uh, Mad Jack Churchill. Yeah. Uh, which again, was recorded last month. <laughs> yeah, but the time has flown though. Yeah, it honestly doesn't seem like a month. Um, so yeah, we're back now. Um, we're going to record now a couple more episodes whilst we're here. Um, a couple of admin bits. Do make sure to follow us on all of the social media platforms. We have the Facebook uh, at That's What People Do. You can follow us on Instagram at That's What People Do Podcast. And also, if you do have any ideas for stories or anyone that you want us to talk about, you can send us those at any of our social media platforms. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at That's WPD. And uh, send us via email at That's What People Do Podcast at gmail.com. And if you send us those, we shall have a look at them. And if they're interesting, we will talk about them. All right. Smashed it. Uh, good stuff. All right. So that's the admin bits down out of the way. We've never had to do admin bits. No. Which is kind of fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this week, we're talking about... We've got a good person this week. So we're, we'll talk about some things that people should do. This guy... Now, there is quite a lot of pronunciation in this episode that I am going to butcher. Yeah. I have had someone help me with correcting on how to say certain words, mm-hmm. um, but we will see how we get on with that. Okay, so this guy that I'm talking about this week is a guy called Witold Piwetski. Oh, I didn't expect that to be a surname. Witold Piwetski. It's spelt Pilecki, but yeah. I'm, I'm being reassured that it's pronounced... I imagine uh, the C is the S sound. I think so, yeah. So Witold Piwetski, who is, as you can probably tell, a Polish man. mm uh, and we're going to be talking about him this week. As I, as I said, there's quite a few Polish words in here. I cannot speak Polish, so we'll see how we get on. Okay. So, Witold Piłecki was born May the 13th in 1901 in a town called Olonets in Karelia, which is in the Russian Empire, or at the time was a part of the Russian Empire. Right. Okay. Now, I've got a little picture of him there, um, as you can see. He's a very smart man. He's a very smart, well-dressed man. He's in his uniform as a soldier. I think he's like in his sort of late 20s here. Yeah. Um, very well-dressed man. Uh, he was a descendant of an aristocratic family, which you could probably tell by that picture because he does look very yeah, smart. Yeah, he looks very well-to-do. Very well-to-do, right? He's, uh, as I say, de- descendant of an aristocratic family with his granddad being a member of the Polish landed gentry, meaning that he had lands and was also a Polish nationalist, Okay. So, that's good for him, right? That's not too bad. That's a good setup. Your your, your granddad is a Polish gentry. Yeah. He's got land. Great. How did he end up being born in Russia? Mm. Right. Now, remember, I said his granddad was a Polish nationalist. You did. The Kingdom of Poland was part of at the time the Russian Empire, and right. in 1863, young students began the January Uprising Rebellion against the Empire over conscription to the Russian army. And it's now just snowballed, involving people from all walks of life, including the landed gentry, okay? With the goal of reinstating what was the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth before Russia took over. Right. Okay. 
Okay. Does that make sense? Kind of, yeah, there's a lot of politics going on there. A lot of politics, yeah. but like, so uh, the po- Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, a king- well, it's like a kingdom of its own. Yep. Russian Empire come in, Took swallowed over. it over, and was right. like, okay, you can kind of right, run yourselves as, as a state, that's fine, you can keep yep. your titles and stuff like that, but we, we're your overlords kind of thing. Right. Uh, and then this uprising happened, and they were like, do you know what? Nah, fuck that. Let's get our kingdom back. Let's yep. do it. So they ro- raised the rebellion. Nice. Yeah, man. Now, the rebellion didn't last long. It came to an end in 1864. Uh, and uh, Vitold's grandfather, Joseph, or Joseph, because it's got a Z in it, mm. having supported the uprising, lost all of his lands and titles to the Russian government and was sent to Siberia for 11 years. Not a nice place to go. Oh, no. There's a Netflix, just a tangent, there's a documentary on Netflix about Siberian prisons. Have you ever watched it? I haven't. It's oh, wait. Really, it's no, I haven't. It's really I haven't. interesting to watch. But I'm told it's, yeah, it's like the place that people get sent to. Yeah, they're like the Sib- Siberia. People. Siberia is like this umbrella, like, term for, oh, shit, I'm going to get sent to Siberia. Yeah. Or, like, people get sent to, like, is it gulags? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. gulags in Siberia, Siberia and you just disappear you go, and you never it? come back. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny, because if, like, if you are a Siberian native and you just live there and it's just your life and everyone's like, oh, you're going to get sent to Siberia. And it's like, mm, I live here. <laughs> it's not too bad. <laughs> I live here. It's not that problem. It's my shit hole. Anyway. After his release, so after 11 years, he was forced to resettle in the remote area of Karelia in Russia and was not allowed to leave for 30 years. They were only allowed to work and be employed by the Russian state. So him, any offspring, anything, they had to stay in Russia for 30 years. Right. That's um, a long time. Yeah. So he was exiled, basically. Exiled from his own country, had to live in Russia in a pretty remote, dank area. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, Grandad Joseph would have a son called Julian, who would continue to work again within Russia as per the rules the family had to follow, and he became a forester, and eventually worked his way up to a senior inspector with the Board of National Forests in Karelia, which allowed him to you know, move to Olenet, which is still in Karelia, but it's in a different part. Right. And here he met and married a lady called Ludvika, and they had young Vitold. Ah. Uh-huh. So he was the fourth of five children. Yeah. And uh, now the 30-year curfew is up. It's over now. Nice. So they can resettle somewhere else if they wish to. And the uh, Piwetsky family settled in Vilno, which is now uh, Vilnius, which is the capital of Lithuania, if you know geography at all. I didn't know that, but thank you. Uh, <laughs> I ha- When I read Vilno, because again, these are pronounced, these are spelt with Ws, but apparently they're pronounced as Vs. Uh, Vilno, I recognised that. Uh, and then when I found out it became Vilnius, I was like, oh, now I get it, I know it. Yeah. So that is the capital of Lithuania, and in 1910, that's where they moved, and young Vitold attended a school. Now, we'll fast forward in a few years. Now, can you guess which huge event was happening at this time? Oh, yeah, WW1. World War One was in full swing, and Lithuania was not safe. No, smart <laughs> right in the danger zone. <laughs> right in the danger zone. It was occupied and controlled by the German army until 1915. Uh, no, in 1915. Right. And the uh, Piwetskis fled to Belarus and sent young Vitold to finish his studies in Oriol in Russia. Right, okay. So that's where he finished Went his school. Went to the safety school. of Russia. Yeah, but again, yeah, he wouldn't be safe from social troubles, though. No, not at all. Uh, so some serious history stuff now. Right. Also, I just want to point out, uh, we will post these pictures on our social medias like we do normally, try to give you guys you know, a visual uh, stimulus as to what we're talking about. You see young Vitold there. There's a picture of him topless, which he's holding a saber. Mm. This good, this dude is ripped. Yeah, man, he's he goes to the gym. Right. This dude is buff, right? 
the the Russian Revolution has just fully kicked into gear, okay? And although the war for Russia would be over in the early 1918, the revolution would be just as bloody and last just as long, okay? So he moved back to Vilno, which right. was now part of the newly formed Polish Second Republic, the Poland that we all know before the Second World War, you know, the one that get in, gets invaded in yeah, 1939. Yeah. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um he joined the Lithuanian and Belarusian self-defense militia fighting the Germans who are now in full retreat. Right. And Vitold uh, was now a soldier fighting on behalf of his own country uh, where his grandfather was born and lived. His family were torn away 60 years ago from and he's now fighting for this Polish country that he loves quite a lot. So he's right. quite passionate about it because he's obviously family were kicked out of it and now yeah. he's like come back to fight for it. Yeah. And obviously it's, you know, Soon to be, it's been soon just established as a nation of its own now, and quite a lot of people are very patriotic about it. So World War One is over. Poland was again a nation building itself and looking to expand, which it did by invading uh, the newly formed Ukraine. At the same time, Vladimir Lenin, you may have heard of, yep. quite a famous name, mm -hmm. was also looking to expand his communistic revolutions all over Europe and saw Poland as a natural pathway to Western Europe, hence because uh, they used to be part of the Russian Empire. Yep. They spoke a similar language, they could understand each other at the time, That it, back then, like, it made sense. Yep. It, oh, it made clearly sense. We could just expand our re revolutions to them. They'll they just take it. Like, yeah. They'll support us, that kind of stuff. Yeah? Yeah. Um. So the Polish-Soviet War began in 1919. So World War One has only just finished for like us Brits and the French and stuff in like the yeah, end of 1918. Like, at the we're having like a oh okay <laughs> for Poland. It's 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 just continuing. It's now a different war. It's called something different. It's the Polish-Soviet War. Right. Began in 1919. Witold enlisted in the newly formed Polish Volunteer Army and took part in many battles, including the Battle for Warsaw, and even helped uh, the liberation of Vilno, which is where he lived for a time. Nice. Uh, he was actually awarded two medals for gallantry, and in 1921, the Polish-Soviet War was over. Yay. Yeah. Witold was made a reservist in the army. He took up education again. He attended the University, university of Poznan, studying agriculture and breathe. Right. So, so far... No more fighting. So far, his family... His granddad was fighting a war. Yeah. They lost the war. Yeah. His grandfather was exiled to Russia. Mm -hmm. Had to go spend 11 years in Siberia. Nice. Then spent 30 years in Russia. Easy. Young Vitor was born there. Right. Um, it's going to be quite a desolate little... Not used to the stuff that they normally have. Yeah. It's not going to be great. They don't have that money. They've moved around to Lithuania he's been moved to Russia the wars have been kicking off he's then fought wars yeah. all of this yeah. he was only born in 1901 yeah he hasn't really had a chance to breathe yet has he <laughs> literally his first 20 years have been shite like, they've <laughs> not been very easy at all right so he chose to return to the city he liberated of Vilno and enrolled into the faculty of fine arts course at uh, you may recognise this Stefan Battery University no yeah, way. Yeah, that is Elizabeth Bathory's uncle, the King of Poland. Who That's you... mad. So yeah, cast your mind back. When we did Elizabeth Bathory episode, and for you listeners as well, if you if you cast your minds back, James told us about Elizabeth Bathory, One who of had an evil uncle, fucking bitches of all time. Yeah, who yeah. had an uncle who was a King of Poland. Yeah, that was Stephen Bathory, and there was a university named after him in Vilno. Nice. Yeah, and links. Uh, our guy attended there. 
links all over. The world links. is a small place. <laughs> How cool is that? When I was doing the research for this, and I and I read it, and I went, Stephen Battery, Battery. Wait, hold on a minute. And I had to do some serious research, and I found out, oh, that is her uncle that we were talking about. No way. So the yeah, he was the king that... of Poland. Apparently, very people were very patriotic and very proud of him. So this story of heroism links with the story of torturing 650 virgin <laughs> yeah. women. Yeah, exactly. How cool is that? That's I was many. well impressed yeah, with that. Yeah, that's impressed me as well. Nice. So, unfortunately, he dropped out of the university due to financial problems, but he did remain in the army. He was a reservist. He helped train soldiers. He loved that. It was something he was really good at. He eventually went to officer school and graduated as a second lieutenant in 1925. Yeah, he's doing all right for himself yeah, now. Yeah, he's doing bits. Yeah, he's, he's an officer in the Polish Reserve Army. He helps to train other soldiers. He is becoming a model landowner, having a nice, quiet life. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was interested in local social affairs, uh, getting his family involved as well. Uh, they opened a milk factory and started an agricultural club. He was doing quite a lot of bits for his, you know, community. Yeah, it seems he, like a he's quite well known, well, well liked, helping it, people out. You can see, I've uh, got a picture of his wife and his family here as well. Yeah, just looks like this. Is that a boy and a girl as well? Yeah, a little it's boy like and a little girl. Ideal for four person family, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, he, they're doing really well. Um, yeah, he met a young uh, school teacher called uh, Maria Ostrovska, and they married in 1931. They had a son and a daughter soon after. So yeah, they're doing okay. They're a nice little family. He's had a very hard you know tough 20 years yeah. to start with and now he's settling down he's, he's, found he's his become piece. a landowner in his in his little place he's loving it he's having yeah. a good time the rest of the 1930s was just spent working on his land nice. uh, raising his family helping local concerns and issues and continuing with his involvement with the military training hmm. he's loving it he's having a good time he was eventually given his own squadron to lead and uh, for his work on social affairs was given a silver cross of merit so decent. He's, he's a decent he's bloke. He's a hard-working guy. He's a very nice, hard-working bloke who does seem to care about you know people in his local area. He's very cool. And now we come to September of 1939. What happened then, then? Uh, World War Two kicks off. Ah, yes. Yeah, World War Two has kicked off. Uh, Nazi Germany and Soviet Russia made a pact with each other called the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. Have you heard of that at all? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you might recognise the name Molotov, which I will talk a bit more about in a bit. Uh, this was a non-aggression pact between the two nations, allying them together in a plan to invade Poland. Uh, Germany wanted more living space, I quote. Um, what was it? It's called Lebensraum, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, they wanted more living space for the Aryan people. Good. And the Soviets wanted to claw back some of the land they lost after the First World War and the Revolution. Yeah. Because obviously, the no. Soviet-Russian War... It didn't made them look weak, yeah. yeah. Uh Now, so say, fun fact. You might recognise the name Molotov. Yeah. Again, these names are hard, right? Uh, Vyacheslav Molotov was the Minister for Foreign Affairs at the outbreak of World War Two. Right. So in November of 1939, as well as invading Poland, the Soviets invaded Finland in what would be called the Winter War. It lasted only three months, uh, with the Finns and the Soviets suing for peace in 1940. During the war, 
Finnish soldiers would like cloth stuffed in the top of bottles filled with petrol or alcohol and they yeah. would throw it at personnel or vehicles. All right? yeah. Now, they called them Molotov cocktails after Vyacheslav Molotov, who was involved in creating the non-aggression pact between Germany and Russia, which meant that Germany would not come to Finland's aid when Soviet Russia invaded. Yeah. And so because of that pact, because he was the one that made it, they're called the Molotov cocktails in a fuck you and throwing them back at them. They're still called that now. They're still called Molotov you cocktails like to this day. Molotov cocktail. Or because this guy, Vyacheslav Molotov. I really I, hope I'm saying that correctly because it sounds cool when I say it. I didn't know the history of that. Um, so yeah, that was a that was a, a little side war for the Finns. They lost quite a substantial part of their land in 1939, but they did fight back really hard. They fought off like the whole of the Soviet Union for quite some time. Yeah, like, they did really well. That's not an easy thing to do. No, not not at all. Anyway, back to Powetsky. He, alongside the Polish army, fought off the Germans, uh, but they didn't do too well, as we do know. Yeah. They <laughs> held their ground, though, destroyed tanks, they destroyed aircraft along the way. Uh, the platoon was, unfortunately, disbanded and it was scattered. Mm. Piłecki went underground to fight for his homeland as part of a resistance army called, uh, uh, let me get this right, Tania Armia Polska, which is secret Polish secret army which he was organizational commander of. Their numbers grew to about 8,000 men, and he was one of the first militias to be formed during the war in Poland. Right, okay. Now, Piłecki worked undercover as owner of a cosmetics shop in Warsaw. Yeah. This helped him with freedom to move around the city without suspicion, because mm. he was just you know, he's simply working, yeah. but, you know, secretly making deals and fighting Nazis, nice. right? Uh, and also, he used that time... You know, and that covered to spend time with his family, which is fair enough. Yeah. Um, now we come to the 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 bit, the bit, the bit. Auschwitz. Yeah. So, I've got a picture there. We all know what Auschwitz looks like. Mm -hmm. It's quite famous. Uh, yeah. In 1940, the Nazis began opening up concentration camps in Polish territories. Auschwitz one was built to be a prisoner for a prison for political enemies and to make Polish people slaves as forced laborers okay um, the sign Arbeit macht free um, work makes you free hung over the top of the gates to the camp and of the first 23,000 poles that were sent to Auschwitz one more than half would be dead within the first 20 months through just sheer work and beatings and tortures and it was awful. Okay. Yeah, absolutely horrendous. Now, Vitold and other resistance fighters began to hear rumours about the things that were happening in Auschwitz. Unsure on how to prove the things that were happening, uh, Puetsky came up with a plan to become an inmate himself and document what was happening and try to drum up inmate resistance. Mm. Okay. His superiors approved of the plan and gave him the name and documents of a dead man called Tomasz Serafinski. Now, during a Lapanka, which is a roundup of a local area, yeah, um, locals, Perwetsky decided now was the time to get himself captured. Yeah, it's important to remember as well. Like, uh, during these Lapankas, these weren't just like everyone gather around, come with us. Yeah, these were brutal. Yeah, uh, people were ripped from their homes, pulled like by the hair, dragged along the floor. People were executed in the streets if they fought too much because they couldn't be bothered to deal with them. It was. Truly fucking awful. Yeah. This was the perfect time for him to get captured, of course. What better way to get brought to a uh, concentration camp than when everyone's being taken there? Yeah. 
he he waited in an apartment of a friend called Eleonora Ostrovska. Um, and when the Nazis came knocking, instead of hiding away, uh, which he was offered the chance to, um, he just opened the door and went willingly with many others rounded up. I have to mention here as well, uh, Piwetsky had no idea that he would be sent to Auschwitz when he handed himself in. No oh, idea. Right. His whole plan was to go to Auschwitz. Yeah. And he had no idea how he would get there exactly. He was just like, I'll get captured. Yeah. And hopefully I'll get put there. Yeah, this guy he, has no fear. Is he in Warsaw at this point? Uh, yes. Uh, no, no, no. He's not in Warsaw. No, he's in Poland. He's around the area. Uh, I think Krakow is the newest biggest city. Yes. I think because uh, Auschwitz, I think, is the German pronunciation of an area in Poland. I mean, I've been. So we stayed in Krakow and it was about tw- about half an hour drive. Maybe it was there then. To Auschwitz. I'm not sure exactly where he and was. And it's like, it's in, Auschwitz is in the middle of, well, it was, nowadays it's a fucking pizza across the road, but na- there was like, uh, it's mad, like, it's the story, when you go to Auschwitz, you do Auschwitz 1 and 2, you go yeah. to Auschwitz 1, which is like the museum, you do all that, yep. and then you go to fucking Pizza Hut and have a meal, which is literally across the road from the fucking R-Bite Mac Fry sign. Interesting. And then you go to number 2. Like, obviously you can't, like, and people just go past it on their commute to work. Yeah. Which is like, it's baffling, but... It's mad, because so, Auschwitz, because Auschwitz, there are two. Yeah. You've got Auschwitz 1 and Aus- is, Auschwitz 2, which is the one that's Auschwitz-Birkenau. Auschwitz, yeah, Auschwitz 2 is the one with, like, the train tracks and, like, that famous, like, the train tracks and the bridge thing. I think that's Auschwitz 2. Yeah, and Auschwitz 1 is the sign. Auschwitz 1 is the one with the sign. Which is, the, it's still standing, all of that Yeah, one. all of that is still standing. That's very well preserved. Um, and that was the intentional that first, was the work first use was the work camp yep. uh, for political prisoners and stuff like that Auschwitz 2 Birkenau was the death camp that was built in 43 I think or started in 42 yeah that's where the gas chambers were Auschwitz that's 1 right. did have a gas chamber yeah but I think it wasn't as used much used as the other one yeah absolutely um, so as I was saying he, he had no idea that Auschwitz would be the camp that he would be sent to he was just captured and hoped unlike but, others that that's where he would be sent I, the, the chance, I think the chance is probably good because I was like the flagship it would make sense because maybe camp. especially it's the closest I'm not sure but then yeah. obviously the Nazis had plans for different types of people and where to yeah. put them because initially they were going to resettle a lot of people yeah the plan was to resettle them in other other countries and say you deal with them yeah and then obviously later on final solution came about and they were like we'll just kill them all which is something I'll be covering in a later episode. Interesting. I like, mm. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, anyway, he could have been sent anywhere. All right. Uh, he could even he could have even been sent to a mass execution, which were happening. Yeah, there he were mass executions. Killed. He could have been shot. He, yeah. Anything could have happened. There was no guarantee that he would have been sent to a prison. No. Now, being a very proud pole, he did mention later about this time. I do have a quote coming up if you want to read. Uh, yes. Okay, so he mentioned about this time, quote, What really annoyed me the most was the passivity of the group of Poles. All those picked up were already showing signs of crowd psychology. The result being that our whole crowd behaved like a herd of passive sheep. A simple thought kept nagging me. Stir up everyone and get the masses of people moving. Get this mass of people moving. It really bugged him. So that everyone was just complying. Yeah, it really bugged him that people were doing it. outnumbered the Germans. Yeah, um, but then this man is fearless. This guy doesn't care. This guy will take on anyone. Like, exactly. He really is not bothered. And the Nazis weren't were brutal about how they were going about it. Yeah. If I was seeing like, my friends get executed, I would, I'd comply. Yeah, exactly. You would, wouldn't you? If you're yeah. scared. But this is the thing. And he nails this, though. He, he says they were showing um, 
they were showing symptoms of like group uh, crowd psychology. Yeah, it's such a thing. Crowd yeah, psychology sure. is such a thing. It's like when I covered uh, Jack Churchill, him and one guy captured like all those German platoons with a sword. Yeah, if the Germans you... turned around and went, "Wait a minute," they would have yeah overpowered them. Exactly. Uh, all they need is like three or four people to say, oh, "Okay, I surrender," and the rest of them will. Yeah, that's all you need. Yeah. Um, anyway, he couldn't understand why you know everyone wasn't willing to arm themselves and fight. At this point, Poland was a defeated nation, and a group mentally, group mentality is a really powerful thing. It really is. Those rounded up were detained for a couple of days, where they gave their names, had their clothes taken from them, and were given prisoner garments. Yeah. They had their heads shaved. They were sprayed. Uh, they were sprayed with hoses, and they were beaten and made to sleep on the floor. And then I also have a picture here of Piłecki's, um prison pictures. Mm. Huddled up together, uh, they were being then sent to Auschwitz, where they were given numbers, and Powetsky's was uh, number 4859. That was his number. Needless to say, the levels of cruelty that happened in concentration camps needs, uh, you know, no highlighting. Yeah. <laughs> it's very well known, yeah. uh, the things that happened there uh, and what was involved, given, you know, things like giving them just enough rations to prisoners to keep them alive for what was estimated about six weeks. Yeah. So those who lived longer thought that you know were stealing yeah and um this would cause arguments amongst prisoners and there are some stories of um prisoners killing each other over little things like that where they've nicked food and they get accused of stealing and they murder each other in their sleep kind of yeah. stuff um beatings for the smallest of things like walking too slow or not working hard enough yeah Powetsky actually got very lucky in an odd way mm. um there's a man called uh jersey Bialecki, he was imprisoned because Nazis suspected that he was part of Polish resistance, which yeah. of course Piłecki was. He was subjected to what was called hanging torture, uh, with Bialecki had said, quote, He wanted to hang me on the hook. He said, stand on your toes. Finally, he hooked me and then kicked the stool away without any warning. I, I just felt, Jesus, oh Mary, the terrible pain. My shoulders were breaking out from the joints. My arms were both breaking out from the joints. I'd have been moaning, and he said, "Shut up, you dog. You deserve it." That that could have happened to Piłecki for being part of Polish resistance. Yeah, it's now Piłecki still had a job to do. He created a resistance group called, and again, uh, I've had this. I've had a guy called Alex who's been helping me out. Thank you very much, Alex, for <laughs> helping me with pronunciation here. So many vowels. I've been practicing and practicing and practicing. I've been sending him voice notes, and he's been sending me voice notes back on how to pronounce this. So, oh, is this the phonetic one next? I will try my best. I've tried to put some sort of phonetic. Yeah. Zviazeg Organizatsi Voiskove. So he created that resistance group. I mean, to me, that sounds great. We're going to call it ZOW from now on. Okay. So I've spent so long trying to learn how to say that because <laughs> Polish is really difficult. <laughs> Polish is really difficult. That sounded good to me, but I'm not Polish, so. Um, so Alex, again for you, Zviazeg Organizacji Woskoyve. Hopefully that was okay. Alex, send me a message if it's not. Sounds decent. <laughs> Thank to me. you very much. <laughs> so we're going to call it the ZOW. The ZOW helped to bring in extra food, extra clothing for prisoners, and uh, more importantly, they got word out describing things that were happening in the camp. It was all fully top secret, of course, uh, and even between themselves, okay? So Piłecki had different groups of resistance, okay? So uh, they all had trusted leaders, little offshoots, okay? There were different leaders. 
but they only knew the names of the members under their group themselves, okay, right. in case that they were found out and interrogated. Yeah. Okay? Now, you've got to be thinking, how on earth did they get word out of the camp? Mm, yeah. Well, initially, it was through prisoner releases by the guards who would spread the word. But, as the Nazis kicked up their plans to murder all of those, quote, inferior to yeah. them, the releases became less and less and less frequent. Prisoner escapes became the new way of getting the word out. They would think of proper elaborate plans to escape, including one, which is brilliant, where four prisoners managed to dress up as SS soldiers, guns and all, steal a car and simply drive out. Yeah, when I went, this is one of the first stories we were told. Apparently, like, he didn't just steal a uniform. He stole the uniform of, like, the top guy <laughs> and drove out in his personal that car. That is so smart. That is so clever. Because... <laughs> You, if you're a, if you're a guard stood at the gates of Auschwitz, yeah, you're not gonna go, oh, like, <sighs> you don't ID people coming in and out. You're not gonna ID people coming in and out because realistically, you know, anyone is gonna. If anyone's coming in and out, they're gonna have a uniform. If yeah. anyone comes out and they're in the striped pajamas or they've got a shaved head, yeah, you're gonna fucking shoot them. Yeah, like, they're not. They're not. Yeah, but to dress up in the outfit, particularly yeah. a high-ranking officer, you yeah. wouldn't even bat an eyelid at it. Oh, uh, yes, of course. Balls. And that's how they got out. How amazing <laughs> was that? They even managed to ba- build a makeshift radio that they smuggled parts in, distributing information to Polish government and resistance groups. This took them seven months to build, bringing in little bits here and there, okay, yeah. and keeping it really hush-hush and quiet. But seven months to build didn't last very long, okay? It had to be dismantled very, very quickly because a prisoner had tipped off a guard about the radio. Now, this is that stuff um, which... Because uh, uh, now you, 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 you've been to Auschwitz, I'm sure there have been stories about it where prisoners would you know, get favours if they helped the help, guards. Yeah, you know? they, they might get something better if they tipped someone off. Some or of them outside the camps as well, like they were in charge of rounding up like Jewish mm-hmm. communities and yeah. they were like left. Yeah. They weren't touched until the very end when like things started going bad for the Nazis. Then they went back and killed those. Yeah, there's a story I heard about um there was a ghetto in Poland and it was for Jewish folk. Yeah. Um and they had they would have Jewish heads, leaders, like, yeah. you know, running the ghetto. Yeah. Um, and there were stories about one guy in particular who would like, you know, abuse younger girls yeah. as the head of this ghetto and would get favours from the Nazis. And he would like, he thought he was safe and then eventually ended up in a camp himself who d- and, and died there. Yeah, because you're not safe. If you're, you're Jewish, not safe. The like, Nazis aren't going to. These people were, these, those kind of people were just so obsessed with any form of power. Yeah. It's, it, that That's the kind of stuff that makes you feel sick. You know, like you abused that moment. But yeah. now you've got to be thinking, how on earth, uh, you know, Oh, wait, no, I've read that bit. Anyway, <laughs> Piwetsky. Piwetsky's hopes were that the Allies would respond to the reports that were getting out there and they would airdrop weapons or they would send in support, Yeah. but it never came. Yeah. The Allies thought that the reports were exaggerated, even though he had told them that gas was being used to kill prisoners, that prisoners were being tortured and some medically experimented on, his reports were the first to mention the use of Zyklon B at Auschwitz II, or Birkenau, as the Nazis' final solution plan to murder all Jewish people from the world was in full force. Mm-hmm. He was even able to keep a detailed log of prisoners coming into the camp, with a quote here saying, Over a thousand a day from the new transports were gassed. 
The corpses were burnt in the new crematoria. And they still did not come. The reality was that during this time at Auschwitz, hundreds of thousands of people were being murdered or experimented on by the likes of people like Joseph Mengele. I was tempted to do my bad episode about him mm. this week, but I think I'm going to save it. Because I think that, like, I was, because the one I'm doing, I'll just spoil it, I'm going to be talking about Heinrich Himmler. And, like, obviously, Joseph Mengele is something else. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that one would require a vaster amount of research. So, so that episode will come. Yeah, I look forward to that one. That'd be good because the, the twins in Argentina stuff. Because be he fun. survived. The man's. Anyway, we won't yeah, get yeah. into it. Now, prisoners are escaping left, right, and center. There's rumors going around about a resistance group among the prisoners. And it was being noticed by the guards now. Yeah. They began rounding up members of the ZOW and they were murdering them flat out. Right. Powetsky wisely planned an escape. He and two other prisoners were going to work in the bakery that was located just outside the camp. Right. There, they overpowered a guard and made a run for it. Quote. Shots were fired behind us. How fast we were running, it's hard to describe. We were te tearing the air into rags by quick movements of our hands. Now, amazingly, three malnutritioned men with shaved heads and tattered clothing managed to make it three. <laughs> nice. He was in there for three years. Fucking hell, that's a long time. He got out in 1943. So he was in there for like half the war. This would have been a properly scary time for them, as it was widely known that anyone helping prisoners would be killed by the Germans, so you couldn't trust anyone for fear that you'll be ratted on. Yeah. He got back in with the Home Army Resistance Forces, eventually, and pleaded to them to focus all their efforts on liberating the camps, but the leaders concluded that it was just too risky for them. Piwetsky was absolutely devastated by this decision. He began to work with the underground resistance again, but he couldn't help, you know, he couldn't help the prisoners in Auschwitz escape. Yeah. And that really got to him. Yeah. So instead, he would decide to help the families of those that were in there. Right. He contacted as many as he could, and he would give them whatever he could, like clothes, rations, and anything else that maybe the resistance could spare in order to help them. Yeah. Which, if you think, like, you know, what is going on. Yeah. It's really nice of him. Yeah, really, really nice. Now... It's 1943. Does Piwetsky get a break? Does he fuck? <laughs> <laughs> the war isn't over yet, and it wouldn't be for a couple more years. All right, Piwetsky helped them with the Warsaw Uprising in 1944, mm -hmm. but you know, the Germans overpowered them, and Piwetsky spent the rest of the war in a prisoner of war camp. Right. Now, after the war and his freedom, Piwetsky was stationed in Italy where he wrote his report in full on his experience in Auschwitz. Yeah. Right? He later called it the Auschwitz Volunteer Beyond Bravery. Now, remember, the Polish government, they're actually in exile in London for the whole of the war. Right. So who's actually in charge? Well, Soviet Russia had actually installed a puppet government in Poland, and after the war had rigged elections, so a communist-backed government would run the country as an, air quotes here, independent state yeah bollocks but yeah yeah and there's a nice little flag of what their uh, their symbol was a nice little eagle yeah. now the exiled government in london was still the ones actually giving orders in to Poetsky. because the ex the government in exile in london uh were for a time still recognized internationally as the actual government of poland yeah for sure throughout most of the war yeah and then after the war there was a whole this is difficult this government although not in poland continued until the 1990s 
right. unofficially. It was really bizarre. That's they strange. weren't even in Poland, but they happened to like represent, I think it was about 500,000 Poles. Yeah. Even though they'd been from, you know, uh, World War Two yeah. till the 90s, not even in Poland, I think. That's mad. Okay. Yeah, it's really weird. But then, obviously, in in, in the 90s, uh, Poland had broke away from uh, USSR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, the exiled government came back. And with the current government that had recently just been elected in by the Polish people, they yeah. kind of came together and had this ceremony and was like passing over the candle almost like, you know. Right, okay. Saying, we, here it is now. We've got a free Poland. That kind of thing is, is going. Right. Um, but yeah, at, at, at that point still, they were giving Poetsky orders. Right. Now, there's a guy called uh, General uh, Vladislav uh, Anders. He commanded him to go back to Poland and essentially become a spy for them, reporting on all communist activities and to find evidence of it as the Allied governments in Britain, USA and France were beginning to withdraw their recognition of of their power over the country. So as I said, Britain gave the exiled government of Poland um, safety safety and somewhere to live, uh, gave them asylum. Yeah, and then after the war, they were a bit like, okay, there is now a new government in Poland. They're kind of doing bits now. They've also been elected. Yeah, even though it was kind of rigged. rigged yeah. uh, there is now a new government that has been voted in. You're no longer part of it, and they were starting to lose their recognition for them. Mm-hmm. But so they needed to get this stuff done quick. Yeah. Now all the resistance groups disbanded. All right. Pawetsky had help from a couple of old contacts from his resistance days. He even had help from people who um, were in Auschwitz with him. Right. Now, he managed to get many documents sent to the exiled government, including proof that in 1946, the people's referendum was rigged and that the Soviets uh, and communist Polish government were committing atrocities to Polish people. Uh, his cover was blown in mid-1946, okay, and he was actually told to leave the country as, you know, a matter of safety. Yeah. Because the search had already been, you know, started for him, but he didn't want to leave his wife and family, so yeah, he decided fair. to stay. Fair enough. Now, never want to run away and fight. Uh, never want to run away from a fight, I should say. Yeah. Over 120 men serving secret missions were rounded up and killed, and Powetsky was on that list as well. Right. But he wasn't going nowhere. Yeah. He was actually captured in May of 1947. Mm-hmm. He was held in a solitary confinement cell at the Makatov prison where he was interrogated for over half a year. Jesus. Yeah, he was tortured. He had his ribs and his nose broken. He also had his fingernails ripped out. Mm. Mm. He actually told his wife about this experience, uh, quote, Auschwitz compared with them was just a trifle. That is a quote. Hell. Like that is a statement. Yeah, jeez, right, okay. If you've gone through Auschwitz, you come out of it and then now you're like And something worse happens. So it worse happens? Yeah. He was being this is this this bit of shit, man, I hate this. This really bugs me. He was being tried as a German collaborator during the Second World War. Um and an enemy of the people and the People's Republic of Poland. Of course, this couldn't be further from the truth, as those who knew him thought, you know, the same as me here. Friends of his who were imprisoned at Auschwitz actually got together and pleaded to the Prime Minister, um, Josef Sirenkiewicz, who was himself a prisoner of Auschwitz and actually knew Powetsky. Uh, He knew him as uh, Tomasz Serafinski, but still knew, knew him. He knew him, yeah. He actually refused to help. Right. And he actually... He got all of the records of Puetsky being a prisoner omitted from the case. Um, 
a case that's trying him as a German collaborator, yeah. which if they just said he can't have been, he was at Auschwitz, yeah. it, that would have helped. But obviously, he's the prime minister of this, you know, fucking Soviet-backed government, and he decided to admit all of that. And further, you he know, was. I mean, that's a dick move, but I reckon he was being threatened as well. Probably because he was probably a puppet. Probably, yeah, no, definitely he was a puppet. Definitely he was a puppet. And if he went against it or whatever. Because what was Powetsky doing? Powetsky was gathering information to prove that, you know, the government that this guy was running yeah. was rigged. Yeah. You know? Um, nah, he instead, he helped to further implant ideas that he was a German collaborator during the war, Shocking. which is just bollocks. It's absolutely bollocks, yeah. Shocking. He was tried in a kangaroo court. He was found guilty. He was sentenced to death by gunshot to the head, which was carried out on May the 25th in 1948, aged 47. His last words being... Long live free Poland. And uh, all record and mention of Witold Piłecki was censored in Poland until 1989, when the country overthrew its communist government. Good. Mm-hmm. So he's only recently, in the last sort of 40 years, been known. Um, oh, by the way, uh, remember he actually took the name uh, Tomasz Serafinski? Yeah. Because he was a dead man? Yeah. He wasn't. He was he, he, no, he wasn't actually a dead man. He was uh, fully alive... And after Powetsky's escape in uh, escape from Auschwitz, the real Tomas was actually arrested for escaping Auschwitz somewhere he had never <laughs> <Flux> been. <sakes. laughs> he was interrogated and eventually was released afterwards. As they yeah. were like, "Okay, you weren't here. Fine, yeah. they got that." Which is weird for them to do that. Like, yeah, you like, okay, think they just go, "No, we don't make mistakes." Bang. Yeah. But no, they did release him. Uh, him and Powetsky actually met up during the war um, and managed to swap their story, yeah. which is really weird. Um, they actually became good friends before he died. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, Tomasz Zerofinski, uh is still family friends with the Powetskis now. Nice. Well, uh, well, until he's yeah, until, imagine. You know, yeah. But his family and their family are still today. Nice. Good. Pals. What a life, man. <laughs> um, one thing uh, we see a lot in his life is just this desire to help others at any cost. Mm. Um I think a good way to remember him is by hearing the lessons that he would taught his kids. Um, one of them remembers, uh, there's a quote here at the end, this is how they remember him. He would... Uh, would write that we would live worthwhile lives, that we should live worthwhile lives to respect others and nature. He wrote to my sister to watch out for every little ladybug, not to step on it, but place it instead on a leaf, because everything has been created for a reason love nature he instructed us like this in all of his letters what a nice guy well yeah top bloke he just wants everyone to even down to the smallest ladybug he wants yeah. them to survive yeah Lo- love life love nature like every every life is sacred to him everything he went through didn't break his spirit no not at all not at all if, if anything it just strengthened it yeah every turn it was like it was strengthened and he survived all of that and then just got betrayed by his own nation that he loved. Yeah. That was that Shocking. was Vitol Piwetsky. Top bloke. Yeah, what a bloke. What an absolute bloke. I might have to get his book and yeah, read that. Honestly, his story is fantastic. Um and it's really worth finding out more. So if you are interested in that story, if you did enjoy that, do look up his story. Yeah. Um because it is inspirational. And when I was re- when I was researching this, I really felt for him. Yeah, that he, yeah, you can't not, can you? I mean, my, your heart kind of pours every time you hear about anything to do with the Holocaust. 
Yeah, and there are so many stories of people doing good things around that time and what was such a horrible time. Mm. There's so many like books of personal accounts as well and they're mm. all just equally as horrifying yeah, yeah. and interesting. Yeah. So thank you, Vitor Powetsky, for being uh, you know, a shining light in such a dark shit time. Yeah. Thank you very much. You've yeah. been brutal. We need more people like him. Yeah. Oh, I really like him. He's really an inspirational player and I really yeah. do like him. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was episode nine. Retold Piwetsky. And uh, again, apologies if I have butchered any of those Polish pronunciations. It is a very hard language and I do not speak it. Sounded fine to me. (laughs) Uh, So, um, next week, we're talking about the badder side to World War II and Piwetsky's story. Yeah, so it'll be the the flip side. We'll be doing Heinrich Himmler, the man who orchestrated the Holocaust. Damn. Yeah. One arsehole. It's not going to be a fun one. Alright then guys, thank you very much for listening as always. Uh, do feel free to follow us on all of our socials where we will give you updates on all of our episodes that are coming out and everything that we're getting up to. Uh, and do feel free to send us emails at that's what people do podcast at gmail.com where we will listen to any story that you want to tell us and we shall tell them. Yeah, for sure. So uh, thank you very much for listening and we will see you next week. Take it easy. Bye bye. <laughs>